Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Downtown Hope, it is a, a pleasure, it is truly a pleasure to be here with you all this, this morning uh, to bring the word. Um, as, as David mentioned, we are a Leyland Community Church, and that word means one another, and it's the Greek word in the New Testament that we read about. So we're one another in community, and uh, we pe- feel a big part of uh, Downtown Hope's family, and so it's, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing uh, so far in 2020, you know, which has been so difficult for so many people, is when is this going to be over? I just want to get to 2021. And I'm here to tell you today that it's not over. It's not over yet. And the reason I know that is because he woke you and I up this morning. And so we're going to continue to press on uh, in 2020 and be shining lights. And so we continue in this series, Press On. Last week we heard about pressing on humility. Today we're going to focus on pressing on in obedience and pressing on in being a shining light. And so with that, I want to jump right into today's uh, passage, which is from Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 through 30. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, that you would open that up and turn with me to Philippians 2. 12 through 30. It begins, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone who looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, 
but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I love the way this passage ends because we get a picture of a really human side of Paul here. We see a gentle, caring side of him in which he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus as if they're his own sons. And, and Paul speaks very personally about his feelings toward these two men, and he speaks of his own anxiety and his, and his own, uh, you know, just difficulty with this situation. And, and what I'm getting from this is, is this passage ends is it's okay to admit our vulnerability. You know, and, and to face all that life throws at you with an honesty about where it leaves you. And so now, there's much more I could say about this section, but for uh, primarily what I want to focus on this morning is verses 12 through 18. And so in verse 15, we read of Paul's desire for the church in Philippi, as well as the other churches. And and it's a word that I think speaks loudly to us today, corporately as a church and individually in our own personal walk with Jesus. Paul writes that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is essentially saying here to us, look, I want you to be lit Christians. Yeah, I said lit Christians, and I know for you younger folks thinking an older guy like me is up here using that kind of lingo, it's kind of a cringe factor. I have daughters that are younger, and they would certainly, if they're watching, be cringing right now. But let me just try to defend myself before you go and judge. Um, I had heard a youth in our church recently use this expression, lit. And so what did I do? I went immediately to the Urban Dictionary. And the word lit, it's an adjective meaning something is turned up, something that stands out, something that pops. And I began to think about this in terms of our own walk, our own faith journey. And so that's what I want to talk to us a little bit about this morning, that we should be lit up, we should be popping, we should be standing out wherever God has placed us, standing out and shining in the midst of what are some really challenging times right now that we're all faced with. And so this morning, I want us to look at God's Word and, and, and what it says about how we can shine brightly. How can we be lit Christians in the midst of such darkness? One of the things that we do as a church every year is we have a camping trip that we take up to Western Maryland. Uh, we've been doing it for about 10 years now. We take 15 to 30 people up there. Some have never been outside of Annapolis, have never seen the mountains. And so on this particular trip that I'm thinking about, 
we, we have a theme for the weekend, and the theme for that week went, weekend was out of Psalm 121, which is, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of the heaven and the earth. And just as I was finishing wrapping up this, you know, beginning to this wonderful weekend, someone screams out, bear! And we look up to Kathy and I's tent site, and there is this enormous black bear just at our tent, flipping over a 100-pound cooler like it was a feather. Now, this visit from the bear, it happened in the daytime. But I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've got to sleep tonight right there where that bear was. And it was at that moment I thought to myself, well, Tom, you are leading here, and you're just talking about where do we put our faith. We look to the hills, we trust in the Lord. Am I going to look to the hills, or am I going to run to the hills, <laughs> from the hills, which in that case would have been my Toyota 4Runner. Um, can I just say that night, we did decide, after much prayer and talking, Kathy and I decided to stay in the tent, but we didn't get a whole lot of sleep. And I, can I tell you that I clutched this flashlight so tightly the entire night. Every noise we heard, I would move and get up and shine the light out into the darkness to see what it was. It was one of those moments where I realized um, it was another one. God was all I needed be because God was all I had at that moment. And, and I share this story because in that moment, light was never more important to me. In that moment of fear, in that moment of uncertainty, when I realized that I had no power over that giant of a bear, I was certain he was lurking right at the door. And, and so a good question for each of us this morning is what is that thing, that giant thing that you're faced with right now, that you're going through right now, the proverbial bear in your life that, that you're called to bear today? That's kind of punny, isn't it? Um, in the passage that we just read, Paul gives a description of the world, the culture that the Philippians found themselves in, and he says it was a crooked and twisted generation. Now, the Greek word that Paul is using here for crooked is the word scolios. It's where we get the, the word scoliosis, curvature of the spine. And basically, by using this word, what Paul is saying is that their world was morally bent and that it was not able to support the weight of life. Sound familiar? Now, I know that was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't sound familiar today, does it? And I think it does. And so Paul is saying that in this world, they're to be, we're to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is saying we are to be lit Christians. So what does a lit Christian look like? Well, think about light. What does it do? Light is essential for our existence. Light brings joy, right? Light provides us with a pathway. It, it navigates us through life. It, it provides security and safety. And light reveals what darkness hides. And another thing about light is that it has to be seen. Paul says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
in order for light to be effective, to be noticeable, it has to be around others who are in darkness. That if all we are doing is shining our light around other shiny people, well, we're really not doing the world a whole lot of good. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, on this camping trip that I mentioned, one of the things that people will always say is, when they get up there, I can't believe how dark it is. And they'll, they'll say, I can't believe how many stars are in the sky. It's just amazing. And, and not just how many stars, but even more importantly, I think it's how steadily the stars shine. How steadily the stars shine. This is a picture that Paul has given us when he writes, among whom you shine as lights in the world. He's referencing the words of the prophet Daniel in Daniel 12.3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We as followers of Christ are called to be light bearers, steadily shining like the stars above, turning many towards the light. And you know, another thing that I've learned about light is that a bright light can be quite irritating. How do you feel when someone shines bright light in your face? Or when someone, it's completely dark, someone flicks on the light? You're like, ah! I think sometimes we can do that too as Christians if we're not careful. We have to be compassionate. We, we have to be sensitive as we shine our lights. What if rather than just walking around directly pointing out the darkness in someone, we actually were to help direct someone out of the darkness? And so a lit Christian looks like someone who guides rather than irritates. Paul writes in verse 12, backing up, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. In other words, a lit Christian will walk their own walk. Now, there's a correct and an incorrect way of understanding this phrase, walk, walk. Work out your own salvation. Paul is not saying here, work for your own salvation. He is not simply saying, just be a good moral person, do more good things, just try hard, harder, work harder so you can get to heaven. This would contradict everything that Paul says in the New Testament about salvation. Like, for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works. Therefore, no one can boast. And notice that Paul says, work out your own salvation. And this statement, work out, actually provides what, us with a biblical pattern for living. You see, God has worked in each of us as disciples of Jesus, something amazing when we give our life to Christ. And so now we must work it out. You see, but we have to get the order right. 
God works something in us first, and then we work it out. When Paul writes, work out your salvation, this isn't a question of whether you are saved or not. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what Paul's saying here is work out what God has already put in you. Work out of the new creation that you now are in Christ Jesus. Work out the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control that you now have, the fruit of the Spirit, that re the Spirit residing in you. Work that out. And notice that Paul says, work out your own salvation. Far too often, I think, we like to work out other people's salvation and talk about other people's salvation. We need to work out our own salvation. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And basically what he's saying here is, this is serious business, y'all. We are not playing games here. This working out has eternal significance. This is something that matters right now, but it matters for all of eternity. And so why is Paul saying work out your own salvation? And I think one of the biggest reasons is because the world is watching. And that has never been more the case than the time that we live in right now. The world is watching us. That our lights would shine. That we wouldn't just simply blend in with the world, but we would stand out from the world. That we would pop in the world. That we would be lit Christians in the world. And so for many including myself, the question becomes, what does that look like practically? What is it that will cause our lights to really shine brightly? And I love Paul's straightforwardness here because it's not what I think he's going to say, like, well, just go to more Bible studies or just go to church more regularly or just do this or do that. No, what does he say in verses 14 through 16? He says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Oh, no that you may be blameless, innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let me try to sum this up very quickly in one simple sentence. Lit Christians will consider their attitude and their action. Paul says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Notice he says, do all things. Last time I checked, that Greek word for all means all. All things without grumbling. And the Greek word that Paul uses for grumbling, it actually means something more like to mutter, kind of under your breath, kind of mumbling to yourself, continually walking around like, oh man, this isn't any good. We all know people like that, right? We never do that, of course. But we do know people like that, and I, do, and I am like that. And I catch myself all the time, mumbling under my breath. What is this saying to the watching world? But no, grumbling, let me tell you, is nothing new for God. Just read the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. So a lit Christian considers their attitude do all things without grumbling. Then he says, do all things without disputing. So 
what he is now doing is taking, it's taking it from under our breath into a dialogue. We're now just complaining to everybody about everything in our life, and it's open, and it's out there. Um, you're telling everybody what's wrong with this person and what she posted on this and how she didn't friend me or I didn't get, you know, those little bubbles that came up and then they disappeared. They did, I know they read it, but they didn't text me back. I wonder how many friendships have been lost because of those bubbles. But anyway, that's another, that's another story. It says, Paul's saying, stop complaining about your situation. And here's something I've learned. Don't complain about your situation to someone who is powerless to change it. Instead, bring your complaints to the one who has all the power to change it. So Paul's spoken about our attitude, some of the things we shouldn't do. Now he's going to talk about some things that we should do, and he's going to focus on the action. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ. I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's the point. A lit Christian will take action. And how do we take action? By holding fast to the word of life and rejoicing. When you think of holding fast to something, I don't know about you, but what I think of is like gripping it really tightly like I did that flashlight in the tent that night. But what it means is to actually hold your position and also to fix your gaze, to fix your eyes. Paul's saying hold tightly to the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Hold on tight tightly to the fact that yet while we were sinners, while we continued to walk and grumble and dispute, Christ died for us. Hold tightly to Jesus, the Word, who was with God and was God and who came into this world, into this crooked and twisted generation, into the darkness, left the throne room of heaven, Declaring, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a promise, y'all. Jesus, who is perfect in obedience and perfect in humility, went to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we would have eternal life. The resurrected Jesus, who has given us the same power, to stay present, to stand firm, to not shrink back, to fix our gaze on the one who can transform our lives. But this phrase, hold fast, also is a bit ambiguous and it can mean something else too, and I think this is really interesting. It not only means to hold tightly, but it means also to hold forth. Hold forth holding forth, that you hold it forth, that you just don't hold on to the, so tightly that you know stuff, but that you hold it forth so that you actually show stuff. Not just knowing it, but showing it and proclaiming it. And as I close this morning, I want to point us back to a single word, the very first word of this passage. 
And it's the word therefore. And whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we ask, what's it there for? And we look back to what Paul had been talking about. You see, Paul had been referring back to the humble and exalted Christ, which we heard about last week. And so this morning, if you walk away from hearing this message simply thinking, I just need to make a to-do list. Like, I just need to try harder to be a good person. I need to try harder not to gumble, and I'm going to make sure I don't dispute with my siblings or my parents. Or If you think that you will be left defeated or prideful, or either one maybe at some point, and you're missing the point, maybe today you're feeling like I was in that tent of uncertainty on that camping trip, feeling anxious and overwhelmed and fearful that your light was just flickering out, that it would fade out. Maybe for you today, that lurking bear, the proverbial bear, is the loss of a job or an illness or the loss of a loved one or financial hardship or how on earth am I going to homeschool these kids? Feeling the full weight on your shoulders I'm here to tell you that there is good news. God has a purpose, and he has a plan for your life, and he will not leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the darkness. Christ will not leave you. And you see, Paul knew this as the end was near, and he was willing to pour all of himself upon the church. He had seen how bright their light was, and he had seen how they had offered their lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and he was rejoicing in that. And as difficult as it can be right now, y'all, for us to shine our lights brightly, he wanted them And God wants us to stay lit, to continue to be lit Christians. And he knew that none of this was possible until they first received the humble and exalted Jesus Christ. We must first receive, receive Jesus today. Receive him, feel his presence today, invite him in. You see, you and I can't do this stuff when we try, unless we first receive him. Allow the light of his love to shine in your life this morning. Allow his mercy and his grace to shine in the dark areas of your life today. Welcome him into your heart saying, Jesus, you are all I need because you are all I have. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but now he has passed the baton on to us. We are now this light. Christ has made us his own, and we are his radiant bride, and we will rejoice even in the midst of this current hardship. We will press on. We will lay a hold of the promises of God because we have access to them in Christ Jesus who has laid a hold of us. In the midst of this darkness of COVID-19, in the midst of this darkness of racism, in the midst of of the darkness of division in the midst of all of the violence that we're seeing right now and the addictions and the overdoses. 
it is time, it's our time to be lit Christians. The time is now for us to shine in downtown hope. We will shine. We will consider our attitude. We will consider our actions. We will work out what God has already worked in us. And we will hold fast to Christ because in him there is life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines into darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Father God, we thank you for these words today. God, we thank you that you are a good, good father who never leaves us, that you understand our situations wholeheartedly, that that you are always with us. And God, we pray that you would just help us now as we go forward this week to remember, to consider our attitudes, to consider our actions, to be the light to step outside into an uncertain world, into what is fearful oftentimes, Lord, and that we would, we would work out what you have already worked in us. God, we love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' awesome and matchless name that we pray. Amen.